0: Consumer Rundown listeners can save 20% off their next purchase of a Taika product. Use code RUNDOWN, all caps, at checkout at Taika.co. Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny. And I'm Dimitri. On today's episode, we are joined by Michael and Cal, the founders of Taika, a ready-to-drink coffee brand. We discuss the opportunities within the coffee market and how Taika is differentiating itself within a crowded market with lots of competitors.
1: Michael, Cal, thank you for joining us in the Consumer Rundown podcast. Why don't you begin by introducing yourself and Taika?
2: I'm Cal Fries, co-founder and, and head of product here at Taika. I've been working in coffee since I was 15 been doing a lot of different things from running cafes to being a burst champion, starting an instant coffee company. And then about four years ago, realized that I, I love coffee, but not how it made me feel anymore. Coffee started giving me all these side effects of making me jittery and uh, anxious and so on. And realized that dysfunctional functional mushrooms and adaptogens really help mitigate those side effects. And also that there wasn't a product that combined delicious coffee with all these well-researched ingredients. And then
3: And I'm meeting my co-founder, Michael. I'm Michael Sharon. I'm co-founder and CEO at Taika. My background, a little bit different to a lot of CPG companies. I spent a lot of time in technology. So most of my career was focused on working in tech. I was born in Israel, grew up in South Africa, moved to the States in 2002, and then started my first company, which is a mobile social location company. And then in 2008, I went off and joined a little startup called Facebook, worked as the first mobile product hire at Facebook and then eventually ended up running the Pages group for the last couple of years. During my time at Facebook, I got really, really super into coffee. And I got so into coffee that I was drinking some like seven coffees a day or something. It was just ridiculous. It was way too much coffee for a normal person to tolerate. One of the things I I realized was that adaptogens, functional mushrooms, uh, a bunch of these compounds that are really readily available out there, but not kind of combined in, in specific ways, actually really work very synergistically with caffeine and with coffee. And so came up with this stack that I've been taking some form or another for like the last 10 years. And when Cal and I met just around four years ago, one of the things we really bonded over was this deep love for great coffee, but also about how we wanted coffee that made us feel better after we drank it. And so we ended up kind of working on the very first versions of Taika, back then by taking amazing coffee, combining it with functional mushrooms and adaptogens, and really focusing on having you feel kind of much, much better. And so the evolution and the inspiration for starting Taika is we're trying to scratch our own itch, And we're trying to make a, a product that we could drink on a daily basis, it helped us feel like more creative, more aware, more in, in tune.
1: Cal, it sounds like when you first started working on Taika, you were drinking too much coffee. And Michael, you weren't drinking enough coffee. How do you balance these two customer needs? On the one hand, create a product so that the customer can get their coffee fixed. On the other hand, create a product where it's not overwhelming.
2: I was pretty much drinking the same amount of coffee that I had in the past. But I think my body had just changed in a way where the amount of caffeine that was or used to be fine started giving me these side effects. And... The more I talked about it with my friends and, and what I was meeting, turns out it was a pretty common challenge for a lot of people. And that's where I, I realized that the functional ingredients can really help mitigate those side effects. And both Michael and I had uh, similar experiences where we had like 10 different pill bottles and taking a handful of capsules with our coffee. And it was just a terrible user experience. And, and we just went to craft kind of like an all-in-one solution and The reason why we call it taika, uh, which means magic in Finnish, which is my first language, is that we wanted to make these products that are almost too good to be true. So they taste amazing. They have the ideal amount of caffeine combined with dysfunctional ingredients, and they're actually really good for you. One of the key features is zero sugar. And one way to think about it is that it's caffeine 2.0, or coffee designed for humans.
1: Why was 2018 the right time for adaptogens to become more popular within the broader coffee drinking community? 2018,
2: 2019 was around the time when adaptogens more broadly started becoming more mainstream. So there had been brands like Four Sigmatic that pioneered the idea of combining mushrooms with coffee. It's actually a bunch of Finnish guys as well. I call us the Finnish mushroom mafia. They've been running that for a number of years and some other brands, but nobody had really made a ready-to-drink version of that. And at the same time, obviously, the canned ready-to-drink coffee had been... Booming quite a bit with brands like La Colombe launching, and it just felt the right time of basically combining these two and and making the best tasting RTD coffee that had
3: the added
1: functionality. Aside from adaptogens, how else does Taika stand out?
3: Yeah, that that's a great question. As a brand and as a product, Taika generally has always stood out. I think when we when we think back on the Taika brand, Taika started. We really started working on the product just a few months before the pandemic started. And because of our background, so my background is just heavily in, in technology. And Cal is, is, strangely enough, kind of more of a tech guy than I am, although his background is much more uh, coffee forward. We were really obsessed with the idea of beta testing our product. And when I, when I used to work at Facebook, we used to test kind of features on like universes of like 10 million people at a time. And so using kind of A-B testing and A-B testing qualitative and quantitative testing techniques is really a way to like establish whether this thing is going to work. When it came to differentiating and and thinking about Taika, one of the first things we were doing was just beta test, And so from the beginning, whatever we made, we shared the product and we sold it to offices in San Francisco. And every single can that we had had just a giant, uh, had our name, and then had a giant phone number on it. And so what would happen is people would just text us on that phone number, and we'd get tons of feedback. we got people talking to us. And then what happened was when we launched, that kind of like experience of like texting people and getting a lot of feedback about the product became a core part of Taika's brand and identity and one of the key ways we differentiated. The first can design we had actually had like just a giant, giant phone number on the front. And part of the reason that we did that was, number one, it was a way for us to connect with our audience directly as a way to get feedback and understand kind of like what was going on with the product. But it was also a way for us to really kind of differentiate the brand in a way that no other brand had done. We wanted to be the most direct, the most transparent CPG brand out there. If you take a look at any canned beverage, most canned beverages that you see will probably have a phone number on the can. It's what we call the number of last resort. So you go to the the back of the can, like the tiniest font, it'll be like, if this can injures you or if you find some kind of rat in your Coca-Cola, you can call this number and give you a free can or something. We wanted to invert that. And we wanted to take this idea of having accessible next generation transparent brand where you could actually talk to the brand. The brand was a friend. And that really took off uh, when we launched in May, 2020, like right in the beginning of the pandemic. People were incredibly lonely and they were getting these cans delivered to them that just had a phone number on the front. And so people just started texting us and we got thousands and thousands of text messages and had this amazing relationship and communication with a lot of our early audience. And that was one of the first ways that we started to differentiate. And then moving forward and thinking about the product in the broader marketplace now, Tyco really differentiates in, in a number of different ways. So number one, the ingredients, the can, and like the lack of ingredients in some way is really focused around one thing. And that one thing is about fueling creativity. Whenever you drink a Taika product, you should feel calm, focused, kind of in your element and ready to be a creative human. And the way we do that is number one, we use incredibly high quality coffee or tea, like the matcha latte. That's one of our most popular products. Number two is we have the adaptogens and functional mushrooms. And then number three, we have no added sugar. None of our products contains any added sugar. And that's actually kind of pretty different to a lot of other products out there. People love to have kind of something sweet. But for us, sugar just leads to a sugar crash. And a sugar crash kills creativity. And so those are kind of like some of the main ways that we like to differentiate tiger.
1: Michael, when you think about your first customers, were they switching from another ready-to-drink coffee brand?
3: When we first launched, I think what attracted people to Taika was the novelty. It was this fun, weird can with a giant phone number on the front, and you would pick it up and try it. What we like to do is we like to think of the jobs to be done for the can. And what are the jobs to be done for the can? Number one, it has to stand out on the shelf. Number two, it has to attract somebody enough to like pick it up and actually grab it off the shelf. And number three, it has to actually prove that this is a worthwhile product and people should keep drinking it. That is actually the liquid inside the can. When people first started drinking Taika, it was mainly the tastes and the liquid that attracted them. I can honestly say without any reservation, it was the best RTD canned coffee that exists. Carl and I are both giant coffee snobs, and we were trying to make a product that we would feel very happy drinking and consuming on an everyday basis. And and that's what we've done. When we started off in the beginning, we were doing crazy things. We were doing like incredibly high quality coffee beans and creating our own extracts, but using single origin Ethiopian and Colombian beans and just like these things that were just incredibly, incredibly expensive. And then that resulted in an incredible tasting product. People would start and see the exterior of the can that would attract them and they would drink it and they would just get hooked on the taste that was really the main thing. And that's really what you have to do. There's no two other ways about it. Consumers are sophisticated. People know what they like. You have to make a great product. You have to make a product that people can get excited about and get a really strong affinity for. And that's what we've done since the beginning. And obviously things have changed. We're now a couple of years further along. We've just gotten into Whole Foods. We're in Sprouts nationwide. And so we produce the product at a much, much higher scale and actually at a much lower cost. But the taste has stayed the same, if not the same, has also gotten better.
1: What was your vision for the company? And how did you measure success in those early days?
3: When we launched, I think the the goal was really just to make something that we loved ourselves and that we wanted to drink and wanted to give to our friends. As Kel was saying earlier, we, we'd been taking adaptogens and functional mushrooms with our morning coffee. For a couple of years now. And when you start to evangelize the benefits of this thing to your friends, you realize just how bad of a user experience it is. When I had to tell my friends to buy like six or seven functional ingredients from a bunch of different web pages, and then like, okay, what is your body weight? And then let's look at the number of capsules you're going to take, how much powder are you going to measure out? It didn't really make sense. And so we were just excited about this idea of combining it all into one and then i remember when we made we made like the first batch because we we had the powder and we were mixing the powder into hot coffees but it was only when we made the first batch in the cans that it actually became real and we made it and then we gave it to a bunch of friends and the best feedback that we got was that our friends just consumed it immediately and basically everybody just Called us like a day or so later and was like, "Hey, so how do we get more of this? What's what's the next step?" And I think our first batch was something like stupid, like fifty cans or something like that. And so that was really the the beginning. That was really the the idea. And then a little bit further in, I think maybe like two or three months in, when we're still doing a couple of test batches, Cal and I sat down and were like, "Well, I think this could be something that more people could enjoy." And so maybe the idea is we just try to make a product that is actually incredibly health, healthy to consume. If you take a look at sort of like the, the leading RTD coffees on the market, Starbucks Frappuccinos, like the leading ready to drink coffee, and it has 30 grams of sugar per can. There's 30 grams of sugar in one can. It's terrible. And so our goal and, and, and our vision really at this stage was really to make something that fit into this, this lifestyle, this idea that we called self-health. You want to make healthy products but you're not going to go around shoving broccoli or heads of lettuce in people's faces. You want something that tastes delicious and is incredibly good for you, just incredibly healthy for you. And so with the, the coffees, the products that we were making, they had incredibly high quality ingredients. They had these adaptogens and functional mushrooms, which are really, really good to take on a daily basis. And most importantly, they also had zero grams of sugar. And so our thinking was people would be migrating from Starbucks. Starbucks does exist. And we made a product, that had the, like a very similar flavor profile to like a Starbucks Frappuccino, like a, a macadamia latte. So it is sweet. It is incredibly creamy, but it's so much healthier. And so if what we can do is really, somebody's drinking two Frappuccinos a day, that's 60 grams of sugar. If they drink one or two of our drinks and drink zero grams of sugar, we're taking 60 grams of sugar out of their daily consumption. That is just going to lead to significant long-term health benefits for them. We're trying to like inch into the, building this incredibly good health product, uh, but we didn't want to beat people over the head with the health benefits of it. Instead, we really cared that people bonded with the, the brand and the, the taste. For us, it's always about making a fun brand and making a product that tastes
1: incredible. That makes a lot of sense. I work for a firm called Skyview Capital, and we were one of the earliest investors in Supercopy, which took a very similar approach. The founders observed that most popular options like frappuccinos, had a lot of sugar in them. They realized there was a gap for a functional option in the market.
3: Coffee is actually one of these affordable luxuries. It's one of the things, even if the economy's bad, even if things aren't going well, people will still continue to spend on the coffee because it's three, $5. You've got a little bit of discretionary spending per day. And coffee is one of these things that makes you feel good. It is comforting. The gap in the market that Super Coffee saw, I think that gap is only getting bigger. It's only getting wider. I think Starbucks is still the 10,000-pound gorilla in the space. There's still a lot of room to take market share away from them and give people an amazing product that they will prefer. That's why we're really excited about this space and and really excited about continuing to build.
1: Cal, as an operations guy, doing single-origin coffee from Ethiopia, did that make things more difficult or more fun trying to figure out how you're going to scale?
2: Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. My background being in coffee and being a very snobby burst type, starting working on a red drink product where we're now turning out millions of cans a year, it's a totally different beast. And it's a very different process where ingredients show up in a co-packing facility and then, then those cans get shipped to a warehouse. It's been different challenges, obviously less hands-on and, and more about sourcing, finding the right suppliers who can supply the right amounts at the right price at the right time and so on. What I'm really excited is that we've been able to just keep improving the quality while reducing the cost and, and just scaling and basically being able to hit a really competitive price point, $3.99 on shelf for a product that is significantly better than anything else for that price point. We still have plans on keeping doing that even more. And I think the thing that many people don't necessarily realize is that scaling up doesn't necessarily mean reducing quality or or quality going down. It could actually mean the opposite, where you buy really high-quality ingredients just at a better price and and produce things at a larger scale where you have more consistency. And you could access different types of production methods and technologies that create a more consistent and
1: higher-quality product. Michael, I went to Expo West and Expo East this year. One of the things I noticed was that caffeine being used in a lot of different form factors, like chocolate bars. What do you think it says about the general state of the caffeine market? The direction it's heading.
3: It's a great observation. I, I don't think it's just caffeine. I think caffeine is a functional ingredient. It's the easiest functional ingredients to understand because it's been around for a really, really long time. I think now people are are trying to find a whole bunch of different form factors that they can then use to consume the caffeine and to give people to consume the caffeine. Sometimes eating the caffeine in the bar and just consuming it is going to be way too much if you drink like 260, 400 milligrams of caffeine in a drink, you're you're gonna feel terrible. With taika, like our goal, always, always make you feel good, make you feel creative, make you feel confident. And that comes through from the functional. And so every single thing that we do will always include L-theanine, for example, which is amino acid that's naturally found in green tea. uh, And what it does is it mitigates the effects of caffeine. Instead of drinking one of our coffees and and feeling jittery and, and on edge, always going to feel stimulated, but also like in control and, and focused. As you see more and more of these kind of functional ingredients coming to the fore, as you see more and more people pushing caffeine into things like mouth sprays or, or stuff like that, you're going to need something to mitigate it. And then the, the, the other thing that is really important is that you need to make sure that it tastes good. And so this gets back to kind of like one of our key differentiators. One of our key differentiators is taste. We have mushrooms in our coffee. When we started off talking about having mushrooms in the coffee, people were really concerned about it. When you take one sip of our coffee, you forget about all of that. It does not taste like mushrooms, does not taste like functional ingredients, does not taste like a raw caffeine spray. It tastes like great coffee. I think going to be the key for all of these product categories moving forward, you can actually add caffeine to almost everything. But if you don't add it in the right way, if you don't add in kind of some mitigating functionals, then... You is not going to taste optimal and may not make you feel great either. And so if you have something that doesn't taste great, doesn't make you feel great, it's not a great recipe for continued customer engagement.
1: Cal, given the continued growth of the coffee and energy drink categories, how do you think about the differences among the customer segments? How does Taika identify and appeal its target customer segment?
2: That's a great question. Energy drink market has definitely been booming and it's something like 80 billion worldwide and there's obviously a couple of huge brands that are dominating red bull monster and the likes and what we've realized in the past couple years is that most of that energy drink market is really all about physical performance or extreme sports red bull is synonymous with extreme sports celsius is all about fitness where we see the biggest opportunity is building taika to be a brand for creative people, people like us who spend our days sitting at our computers, where drinking Celsius that has 200 milligrams of caffeine is actually detrimental for your ability to focus and produce your best work. It might be totally fine if you go to a gym and want to PR your deadlift. Caffeine is great for that. That's proven performance enhancer. However, that's too much caffeine for creative work. It's too much caffeine for your brain. And so our approach is making these products that have the ideal amount of caffeine balance with these functional ingredients, functional mushrooms, adaptogens, that get you to the slightly elevated state where you feel energized, you feel focused, you don't feel jittery, you don't feel anxious, you don't have the sugar crash that's going to make your energy levels go down in an hour after you drink something. And in terms of brand, there's so many opportunities that we see. We started recently working with our new chief creative officer, Taika Waititi, who is an Oscar-winning film director, directed a couple of Marvel movies, Thor movies. Jojo Rabbit, also an actor, and just all around extremely creative individual. And we have a a lot of interesting plans in the works with him and some other creative influencers and and really building this brand that's basically Red Bull for creatives.
1: Sounds like your target segments are Los Angeles and New York then? Two of our biggest
2: markets. And at the same time, we don't want just to be a brand for New York and LA. We have a lot of retail distribution everywhere in between those two coasts.
1: Michael, how do you tell the Taika story to retailers outside of LA and New York, where your target customer segment may not be as familiar with the brand or see themselves as creative people?
3: The can is our our number one billboard. It's the way we communicate with people. It's what people see on the shelf. And when we go and talk to retail buyers in particular, we talk about the key differentiators that we have. Number one, focus on creativity. Number two, taste problem with taste is everybody says their thing tastes great, but obviously ours tastes best. One of the other things that, that really differentiates Taika is our focus on macadamia milk. We are the first ready to drink coffee or matcha or tea in the US that has macadamia milk. And it sounds a little bit strange, but it is a key differentiator. Everybody has, has like a regular milk or an oat milk. Nobody else has macadamia milk. And it's one of the things that really attracts not just retailers who are really interested in supplementing their lineup, but also consumers. People are looking for alternatives. Uh, People are looking for alternative milks. And macadamia milk really has like an incredible uh, taste, incredible quality. Macadamia nuts are really high in, in healthy fats, really good for your brain. In terms of telling the story to consumers it comes back to the can. The, the ways that we tell the story, the can design is, is very smooth, very simple. We have clear colors on the can. Uh, and we have one little phrase on the side of every can that really just describes what we do and, and how we want people to feel. On the side of, of every single one of our cans, it says, feel inspired, not wired. I think just just that little phrase helps people understand exactly what this can is about. We have a couple of words on each one of the functional ingredients, but we really don't spend too much time trying to talk about education. We want people to get excited by it, pick it up, and drink it. Once they've drunk it, we know we have a lot of data that shows that we have strong resale purchases and strong same store resales. Our, our number one goal is to get people to be aware of the product in some way, whether they saw a video with Taika Waititi on the internet or whether they heard about us in Consumer Rundown podcast. And then once they're in store, pick up the can and try it. We know that as soon as they try it, they'll keep coming back. I heard this being said a lot in the beverage industry before I was part of the beverage industry, but I completely understand how it makes sense. It's all about liquid to lips. It's all about getting people to grab the can and try it and then form their own opinions.
1: How many doors are you in right now?
3: We're in about 2,000 doors right now. We're looking to get into maybe four to 6,000 by the end of next year. We were in less than 500 by the beginning of this year. So we 4X that growth in 2023, and we're looking to kind of three or 4X that for 2024
1: as well. As a first time founder within CPG, what's been your biggest surprise?
3: Everything. I think the biggest surprise for me in beverage in particular is just how old school the business is and just how much it's based on relationships and personal touch. When you start up the business and certainly when Cal and I started off, we had lots of ideas about optimizing and taking technology and doing all this crazy stuff. And we've talked to a bunch of people, we talked to a bunch of distributors that are like next generation distributors using technology. And honestly, I haven't seen any of those guys really differentiate themselves specifically. I think the distributors that we work with that are like the best distributors, like the DSDs, the people that pick up the product and actually put it on the shelf, the ones that distinguish themselves, this is one of our distributors that we work with in Northern California called Dairy Delivery. The founder will literally respond to my email within 30 seconds. I just don't understand how she does this, but it's that personal touch. It's people that will pick up the phone and have a conversation with you about what you need to do and help you understand kind of like what you need to do to move forward. I think that is something that was definitely underappreciated by me going into the business. And now as we scale is a lot about having people understand what the brand is and having people go out there, whether it's to concerts, to shows, to grocery stores, telling people about the product and sampling. And so for me, I didn't realize just how people heavy this business was. And I also didn't realize how expensive this business was. I think beverage is definitely one of the toughest industries to differentiate and succeed in. And part of that is just because beverage doesn't make sense as a startup. There are very few startup businesses out there that are beverage businesses that are actually profitable. And and I'm talking now, specifically in the realm of ready-to-drink beverages. It's really a scale game. There's a reason why the most successful, the largest beverage companies in the world are companies that have been around for 100 years. Coca-Cola has been around since 1886. They have built out the distribution arms. They've built out the processes. They produce the product for a couple of cents, and then they're able to turn around and and sell that for really significant margins. And so understanding that as kind of a, a beverage startup It just takes a while every single hurdle every single order of magnitude shift that we see it really helps us it helps us tremendously and it helps us whether we're allowed to improve our margins reduce our cogs like all of these kinds of things you can see where it starts to get real and you can see where it starts to actually become profitable it takes a long time it takes a lot of money it's a scale game it doesn't happen at smaller scales as cal was saying as we've gotten bigger our products have actually gotten better. As we've produced products at a greater rate, it's gotten better. What what I would say is one of the biggest lessons is it's also partially about planning ahead. Now that the, the business is much bigger, we're planning much further ahead because our production runs are bigger, the kind of potential accounts we're getting to are bigger. If we get into Target just by itself, one account is 2,000 doors. That's the entire size of like our business right now. There's a lot to learn coming from the world of software. There's a lot of differences. And that's not to say that one is, is better than the other. I think it's incredibly satisfying to be working on real physical products. It's incredibly satisfying to be working on products where people could pick them up off the shelf and drink them, consume them, and then feel good about themselves. But it's been humbling. There's a lot of great lessons to learn.
1: Absolutely. One of the challenges right now is that a lot of capital providers are backing away from beverage brands. I hear this a lot from other investors I regularly interact with. They're concerned about rising costs of raw materials, distribution, and customer acquisition. How do you overcome these challenges as a founder and tell a convincing story to investors that Taika is a brand worth investing into?
3: In terms of putting together a credible investment story, it's really about building the path in a way that makes sense. You can't build the path on the dream and the hope that this business is suddenly going to go viral in like three to six months without any credible evidence backing that up. The way we think about building the brand and building the business is heavily influenced by a guy called James Richardson. He wrote a book called Ramping Your Brand. And one of the things that he did, he analyzed a whole bunch of different CPG businesses, including a lot of beverage businesses. And one of the things he pulled out is that the best businesses grow 100% year over year. And he graphed that out and charted it out. uh, And he calls that the skate ramp. And so when we think about growing, when we think about building the business, what we're doing is we're thinking about making sure that we're at least doubling year over year. And we've been doing that since the day we launched. And if you do that consistently, you're able to build a very big business in a reasonably short period of time. It's not one to two years, it's more like five to 10 years. But once you have that slightly longer term time horizon in place, once you understand the capital requirements, it then becomes much easier to have the conversations with the the investors that are interested uh, in supporting and and taking the chance. Uh, And by the way, I don't think that all investors are shying away from beverage. I think there was a period of time where investors were sort of distorted and felt that there was a lot of easy wins to be had in beverage. This is after vitamin water by acquisitions, I think with a lot of excitement around what was going on. And so what you saw was a lot of investors piling money into a bunch of different businesses that frankly, don't have exits right now. There's a bunch of businesses that are out there that are making 50 to hundred million, but they're not necessarily profitable and they don't necessarily have an exit path. From our perspective, the way we're thinking about building the business is being profitable at like much lower levels. If we want to be, we want to build a business that we feel excited about running for many, many years to come.
1: Your point makes a lot of sense. Focus on profitability is going to be very beneficial to consumers and investors. It directs the operations to be more sustainable much earlier and for the long run, not just for a quick exit. That's the key to building long-term businesses. Cal, when you look ahead, what are you most excited about?
2: I'm really excited that we finally launched Whole Foods about a month ago. It was a good while in the making and we just launched half the stores, kind of on both coasts. So we have a lot of fun plans coming up for that, doing some promos, doing some sort of marketing push around that. So that's a big focus for us now. We're working on exploring some new products that we're potentially launching next year. That's always fun. Spending some time in the lab and then coming back to our collaboration with Taiko YTD or TDAP as we call him internally. Working with him as our chief creative officer is super fun getting his input and wild ideas on how do we take our marketing to the next level.
1: Building on that point, what has been your experience as a beverage founder?
2: founding a beverage company has been a very interesting challenge, as Michael pointed out. I have a real appreciation for gross margins at this point of the company's life cycle and, and understanding why a lot of people are pretty focused on those, especially in the beverage game.
1: I think it's a really good point. In my role in private equity, I interact with a lot of management teams whose companies have low gross margins. And one of the things I've learned over the last five or six years in that role is that it's very difficult to significantly move margins upward.
2: That's been a big focus for us in the last 12 months and we've actually made pretty significant process. I've actually been pretty surprised how much we've been able to move the needle there, actually improving our margins by about 30%.
1: That's amazing, congrats. Last question, if listeners wanna try Taika, where can they find it?
3: Actually, the answer to that is a lot of places. You can get it at our website, taika.co. You can find it on Amazon, Just type in Taika and you will be redirected to one of our products. You can also go to Whole Foods stores. You can go to Sprout stores. You can go to Erewhon. We're in about 2,000, 2,500 stores nationwide. And if you go to our website, there's a little find store locator that you can take a look at and see where the stores are near you. But try some Taika, get it online, get it in store, and let us know what you think. We still have the phone number that can. You can text us. We'll text you right back.
1: That's awesome. Cal, Michael, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. This concludes our episode with Michael and Cal from Taika. Thank you all for joining us.
0: Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time. Consumer Rundown listeners can save 20% off their next purchase of a Taika product. Use code RUNDOWN, all caps, at checkout at taika.co.